Well, good morning. Good to see you. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, beautiful weekend. Uh, the skies today are no indication what we've had, but it is always a beautiful thing to be in the house of the Lord together, to come together as the church, to worship and to sing, and uh, just to uh, remind each other uh, that we are here uh, because He lives. And so uh, we had a, a good day yesterday. We went up to uh, the Leadership Training for Christ a convention. It was up in Rogers, and so we took some of our summer's kids and teens up there to do their competition. Their competitions are not competition, but their, uh, I don't even know what you call it, Chad, because uh, events, thank you very much, they're events. And so uh, there are events that happen uh, before the convention and some specifically at the convention. And so um, without stealing any of Chad's uh, thunder, he's going to be able to share that with us and these kids will share it with us probably in the next couple of weeks. And so I just want to say um, how proud I am of them and how appreciative I am of uh, the parents who support them in doing that and especially how appreciative I am of Chad and organizing and, and keeping all this going uh, year after year. And I'll not ask him uh, how many years he's been doing this, uh, but uh, you can see on the, the, the look on his face of uh, just how much he puts into this and how long it's been uh, his labor and toil for, uh, for our kids here at Summers Avenue. So really appreciate that. Um, you know, for many of you, the reality of spring comes with the blooming of your beautiful gardens, your beautiful yards. Uh, some of you, the reality of spring comes with the, the sniffling of the nose and the itching of the eyes and the, the sneezing, and so I recognize that too. Uh, at our house, I know it's spring because the weeds change. Y'all know this? Weeds change based on seasons. Uh, you thought it was just flowers, but I can tell what season it is based on what my weeds are. And I'm always thankful that some weeds make flowering plants. And we used those this morning to get some great Easter pictures. And so I'm thankful uh, for those weeds too. It does break up kind of the color palette of the yard. But I always think of Canada in the spring. So, you know, Natalie and, and Elwood, you'd probably appreciate this, but Tressa and I went to Canada for our um, anniversary some uh, near 15 years ago, and uh, we went to Prince Edward Island. And I don't know what the rest of Canada thinks about Prince Edward Island, if it's really part of Canada or not, because I know when you're local, you think differently about certain areas. But we loved it. It was a beautiful place. And, and I've mentioned this before, but you know, to me it seemed like um, you know, if, if God had one of those you know, 64-count crayons, you know, the kind you, you can't believe when you get to that grade in school when you can get the big box... And so to me, it was like God had that big box of crayons and He just used every one of them uh, to color this island and just the, the beautiful colors there. So uh, the fertile soil and the blooming plants and flowers, and it was, it was wonderful. And so we tried to hit all the major landmarks that were there. And so there was this one place, the Kensington Water Gardens, if you've heard this story. And so uh, it, it's a must-see place. You've got to see this if you're at Prince Edward Island. And so we, you know, made a, made a note, we're going to see this. It's going to be one of the first things we see. And so, you know, looking at the brochure, and it's, uh, you know, the, even said on there, another jewel in Prince Edward Island's crown was the Kensington Water Gardens. And so we, we went to the, the water gardens, and I'm going to tell you, it was the most hokey place that I think we have ever been to. It's a joke in our family to this day uh, about the Kensington Water Gardens. And so it had a garden, and it had some water. But this place did not live up to its name. It didn't live up to its reputation. It certainly didn't live up to its billing. And so uh, it failed to live up to its name. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been studying this letter to Christians uh, from the Apostle Paul's hand uh, called Ephesians. And so uh, we've been going through this and where he has encouraged them to live up to their name, encouraged us to live up 
to our name, and so to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And so next week, we're going to continue in that letter, and we're going to look at the section on uh, children obey your parents. And so uh, you want to make sure you uh, get your kids a good night's sleep so they stay awake uh, for that sermon next week. But today, we're going to take a side road. Taking a little trip, uh, which like the clay road leading up to the Kensington Water Gardens is, is, a, is, is a road that leads to a, another garden that ceased to live up to its name, a garden called Eden. And Eden means delight. Delight. So you can imagine, God planted this garden of delight, a, a garden where, where God began His work of creation, where He placed Adam and Eve where they lived. But see, this garden of delight became a garden of death became a garden of disappointment. Death came to Eden. And I thought about Eden this week. Maybe it's strange to talk about gardens and talk about death, you know, on, a, on the Easter Sunday. But I'm going to assure you, the first day of the week is all about gardens. And the first day of the week is all about death. And so, it has everything to do with Eden. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8, We read that the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the side and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. So God planted His seeds in this garden here. And there was beautiful produce. And the Scripture tells us that God saw it and says, this is good. This is good stuff. But sin, sin came to this beautiful garden. Sin corrupted what God had made so beautiful. Sin of a choice. A choice was made. And because of that choice, the ground was corrupted and man was expelled. Sent out of this beautiful garden. And at that time, Unknowing to them, plans for the first tomb were made. Because death now became part of life's conversation. And so Genesis tells the story of death. The way death invaded one garden that until then knew only life. It knew only delight. It knew only beauty. But now this garden of delight had become a garden of disappointment. A garden of, of failure. become a garden of rejection. become a garden of regret. And so the fate of humanity seemingly sealed as God removed us from this garden, this beautiful promise, this intimate presence. And now we're to labor and we're to to toil and we struggle in this life with the weeds of sin and the weeds of, of life and constantly trying to choke us, choke us in our humanity. But see, when this happened, God had already been under construction. He'd already gotten a permit to begin construction for the restoration, the renewal, the reclaiming of this life that we had rejected by our sinful choices. And so, choosing our own bumbling direction. And at His appointed time, at God's time, outside the walls of Jerusalem, so many years later, God brought humanity back to another garden, another place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press or crushing place. And this garden actually lived up to its name. Because see, it was in this garden where Jesus felt the crushing weight, the pressing weight of His life's purpose. And so on the night of His betrayal, as His mind was 
set on a cross in this garden, this crushing place. Matthew tells us in chapter 26, in verse 36, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with Me. And going a little farther, He fell on His face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as You will. And He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And He said to Peter, So could you not watch with Me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, He went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, then Your will be done. And again He came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, He went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then He came to the disciples and said to them, Take your rest. Take your rest later on. Not now, later on. Because see, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And so the Garden of Gethsemane, this garden in the darkness is where sin, the dangers of sin, the seeds of sin, seeds of sin which had been planted in Eden, which had been planted in that Garden of Delight, the Garden of Gethsemane, it's where they came into full bloom. And so, Jesus willingly submitted to God and to humanity. And He was crucified because of our sins. But God, God in this tomb, the garden of this tomb, tells another story. See, God's got another story that He's got to tell. His greatest story. See, the garden of the tomb is where the God of life launches this counteroffensive. And invades a garden that up until then only knew death. Only knew decay. Only knew despair. But God now has, has brought us to this garden that once was only marked by being a cemetery. And have you noticed that in your reading? As you read about this, this garden where Christ was buried, the tomb was actually located in a garden. And so in John chapter 19 and verse 41, we read, Now in the place where He was crucified... There was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And so, looking in from the outside, this, this view was grim. Because all of the hope, all of the promise, all of the expectation of those who believed in Him was now laying lifeless on a stone slab in a tomb. And so you can forget the prophecies and forget the miracles and forget the teachings and forget the promises. Because the weeds of sin choked all of those out. And this man who once claimed to be the Son of God was now laying lifeless in this tomb. And a man who walked up to the altar of the cross and willingly laid himself down to be a sacrifice for your sinfulness and my sinfulness is now behind this rock in this tomb, alive, choked to death by the weeds of my sin, the weeds of your sin. But see, what they didn't know, what they didn't realize is that Sunday's coming. Sunday is coming and the garden of the tomb would never again be known as the garden of death. 
it would become the garden of hope. And so there's some humor, I think, found in John chapter 20 and verse 15 as, as we read this, this scene when after the resurrection, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb to bring some anointing spices and to tend to some things they didn't have time to deal with because they were in a hurry to get Christ in the tomb before Passover. And so she comes to the tomb and and she didn't recognize that the resurrected Jesus who met her there, she didn't recognize Him. She thought He was the gardener. And I find that so interesting. He wasn't the gardener, but He was the gardener. See, Christ had come now to sow life, to cultivate life in a place of hopelessness, a place of despair, a place marked by death and sorrow. And so in the resurrection, He had come to reclaim Eden and see to it that death would never again have the last word on anyone. And so I think it's so important to remember how the Bible begins and how the Bible ends with the story of gardens. But what is so pivotal is the garden in the middle. See, at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 22, we read about kind of a garden scene. We have the throne room of God here and you've got images of a garden scene with a mighty rushing river of life running through the middle of it. You have the tree of life that blooms its fruit in season, out of season, forever. It's a beautiful scene here. And I don't know what it looked like to John, but I do know what it looks like to me. There's no more death. There's no more sorrow, no more grief, no more tears, no more pain, no more shame. There's only delight. There's Eden. There's Eden. So the garden lost at the beginning is fully restored at the end. But see, what makes the difference? What makes the difference in all of this of what happens at the garden in the middle of the story? What makes the difference is what happens at the resurrection of Jesus. Because at the resurrection of Jesus, it's the beginning, it's the reclaiming, it's the replanting, God's reclamation and and restoration project. It's God's DIY, do it yourself, whatever that is. God's doing it Himself because we messed it up. And believing that, here's the thing, believing that makes all the difference. It makes the difference in who I am and how I live. It makes the difference in in what I believe. It makes the difference in, in how I see this world and how I look to the world to come. It makes all the difference in the world. Really believing it. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ soaked the weeds of this life with a weed killer, eternal weed killer. And as you know, when you spray weeds with weed killer, they don't die immediately, no matter what the infomercial says. Depending on the weed, it takes some time. It takes a process for them to wither away and to disappear. And so it varies depending on the weed. And so the resurrection is even to this day killing the weeds in our life. And even though their death may not be immediate, the withering has begun. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is killing the weeds of our wounds. See, life gives us wounds. We are wounded by life. People go through life just beaten down, broken down by their wounds. Physical wounds, emotional wounds, and spiritual wounds. And it's interesting to note that Jesus' resurrected body had scars, had evidence of the wounds that He received from this life as He as He told the apostles, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Feel my side where they pierced me. Christ's body had these wounds. And it's evident His body was different in the sense that He appeared in rooms where the doors were shut and locked. You know, He could just appear and disappear. 
But he also had this, this evidence of this body. This physical body here. The scars from his time on earth. And so his wounds served as testimony to the power and the promise of God's fulfillment. That's important because after the resurrection, he, he showed his scars to, to people in one sense to say, hey, look, it's me. You can tell it's me because, look, see my, my wounds. You saw this happen to me. And in another sense, he showed himself to others to say, look at the lengths that I went to for you. For all of you. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, see, we begin to receive healing for our wounds now. God begins His restoration now. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we are baptized and we die in Christ, we begin the restoration. God begins that. That we're going to fully reveal, fully receive, fully know in eternity one day. But we can know it today. We can experience it today and begin to, to understand it. So the resurrection of Jesus doesn't help us forget our wounds. See, the resurrection of Jesus transforms our wounds into a witness. A witness to the power of God. What God has, has brought us to and what He's bringing us through. See, that's what wounds do. And believing this can make all the difference in how we face life today. How we deal with the wounds of life. Peter said in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 that Christ Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by His wounds, by His stripes. We have been healed. And there's such a strong tendency today to, to blame God for our wounds, to blame everything on God. But what if instead, what if we brought that broken life to God? Brought that broken life to Christ and said, God, heal me. Heal my broken life. Marred by sin. Marred by this life. Bruised by others. Take these wounds. Transform them into a testimony for you so that others can see your power through me. What you have done in my life. And so that I can be a witness to others. See, as Jesus felt these wounds, He was healing you and me. He was healing us. By His wounds are we healed. See, the resurrection of Jesus makes all the difference in how we deal with the wounds of this life. It also makes a difference in how we deal with the, the, the weeds of our sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 17, Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, if this isn't true, if all this is a scam... If this is the, the, the greatest scam in all history, then your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. But in fact, the tomb is empty. Christ has been raised. And we are no longer dead in our sins through Jesus Christ. See, for Paul, the res resurrection of Jesus had, had, had everything to do with how we view and how we deal with our sins. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, it validated everything that He had said going into that tomb. See, when Jesus walked out of that tomb, it was a stamp to validate the fact that He was the Son of God lying in a feed trough for His first cradle. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, it validated that He was the Son of God who was eating with tax collectors and with sinners. And when Jesus walked out of that tomb, it validated that it was the Son of God who was hanging on that cross, who was heading into that tomb. It really was the Son of God. It validated all of this. And when Jesus walked out of that tomb, it makes us, Look at our rearview mirror and, and, and to reconsider so many ways everything that He said going into that tomb. And one of the things He said was this. 
In John chapter 5 and verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from life to death. When Jesus walked out of that tomb the first day of the week, it validated that He had the right to make that promise. And it validated what He said was indeed true. And so the resurrection means that you don't have to see yourself in light of your past. We don't have to see ourselves according to how we have lived. We see ourselves based on the future that Christ has provided for us. We see ourselves in light of His promise, the resurrected promise. A promise that the Apostle Paul puts this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's what we've been studying in Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians. When we are in Christ, we are brand new. Not just renewed, but brand new. A new person. Enabled by God's Spirit to live the life that He calls us to. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because He rose from the dead, I know that I no longer have to be caught dead in my past. See, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, I know that I have a whole new future. Because Christ's resurrection is killing the weeds of death. Killing the weeds of death. The resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20. Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, Adam, the garden of delight, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death, the last enemy, the, the, the worst enemy. The enemy that causes separation between families and friends. The enemy that brings separation from everything that, that we can find good in this life. The enemy that leaves us lonely and leaves us asking so many questions. And as Christ's breath gave out, He breathed that new life into us. And because I believe in the Word of God, and I believe that God is a God of His Word, then I know He has a home prepared for me, eternal in the heavens. Not made with hands, but made by God the Father, Christ the Son. And death no longer has a final say in my life. See, death itself now has a DNR. Do not resuscitate. Death has a terminal condition because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Kensington Water gardens didn't live up to their name. And the weeds prevented Eden from living up to its name. And weeds had the last word in life for that first garden. But weeds do not have the last word in our life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the weeds of wounds don't have to have the last word. The weeds of sin do not have to have the last word. The weeds of death do not have the last word because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because there's a gardener present who lives to reclaim and restore everything that, that, that sin has tried to undo and everything that God began. 
in that first garden. He's here to make it possible for Eden to live up to its name and for us to live up to our name in Jesus Christ as Christians. The question is, are we going to let Him? Are we going to let Him? See, God gives a whole new meaning to the term miracle grow. In the kingdom of God, the church of Christ, the, the body of Christ, we are not a dying body. We are a resurrected body. And we just show a glimpse of that body today as we assemble together and we, we sing songs of praise. We speak to one another in psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs. And we remind each other of, of the promises of God. And we assemble around this table to remember the death of a Christ, but to celebrate His resurrection. That's why we come each week. We remember His death, but we acknowledge and we celebrate and we proclaim His resurrection. The resurrected Christ. We have eternal life because of Christ's resurrection. Because we would not be here. Why would we even be here if Christ was still in the grave today? But see, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. And because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds a future in life, this life, and all of its scars, all of its uncertainties, all of its fear is worth living. Because He lives. Because He lives. Eden was a garden of disappointment. But life can be a garden of disappointment. But see, the garden of the tomb is a garden of hope. It's a garden of promise. And heaven is a garden of promise for all of those who have been set free in Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin. Once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then down in verse 22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. See, the fruit of sin leads to death, but the fruit of sanctification, the fruit of a life in Christ, leads to eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. Christ Jesus our Lord. And I don't know what speaks to you more today in this message about gardens. Is it the idea that the resurrection of Jesus makes a difference in how you deal with the weeds of, your, of death? How we deal with that. Or maybe it's how you deal with the weeds of your wounds. Or maybe it's how you view and how you deal with how you respond to your sins. My yard is knee-high in weeds <laughs> because I haven't mowed it yet. It's springtime and I haven't mowed it. But here's the deal. The, the highest weeds are in my backyard. Nobody sees those, so I don't worry about it. C.S. 
See, we let the, 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 the weeds of sin grow the highest in the backyard where people can't see it. Then we don't have to worry about it. Nobody's going to know. It's just me and my sin. But God knows. Jesus Christ didn't die so that we could keep cultivating sin. He died and was raised so that we could be free from sin, to have a beautiful life, eternal life with God. See, the hardest part for me is that first step. It's putting on my yard shoes. It's going out to the shed, unhooking everything and getting the lawnmower out and trying to get it to start. That's the hardest step for me, the first step. And I would say that's the hardest step for us when we're trying to break free from sin. It's the first step. See, we draw a lot of lines in life, don't we? We draw lines. We say, okay, when it gets to, you know, it gets to this date on the calendar, then I'm going to do this. Or when, you know, when Thursday comes, then I'm going to... Or when we get to, to this spot in the road, we'll pull over. We do that in our lives. We say, okay, when, when I get to this point, then I'm going to start. I do that when I run. You know, I get up and I start. I don't just run out of the house running. You know, I walk a while down the street. And I say, okay, at, this next, at that next sign, then I'm going to start running. And so then I start. And then I go, okay, at the next sign, I'm going to stop and catch my breath. We put lines in life. And some of us have been standing at the line for a long time, waiting to start, waiting to repent of a sin that we've been cultivating in the backyard, waiting to begin life in Christ that He's called us to live. We've been standing at the starting line for a long time. See, God is amazing. And He loves to turn lives into a a display for His amazing power. And so we start thinking, well, you know, I've got a lot of weeds. I don't even want to... This is going to be hard. Lawnmower's going to die. I'm going to have to push. It's going to take twice as long. And so we don't even want to start. Some of us got a lot of weeds. And we think, "God, God can't do anything with that. He can't do anything with my life. He can't really heal me. He can't really restore me. Look at what I've done, what I've been through. And God thrives on that, on taking a life that was so affected by sin and turning it into an amazing display for His glory. But see, He's waiting for us. He's waiting for us to leave that garden of hopelessness, to take that first step. Jesus Christ did not die. He was not resurrected for us to wade through the weeds. He's waiting for us to claim this new life in Christ. But we've got to start. We've got to begin. See, we can think about Eden. We can think about what used to be, what might have been, what we messed up. We can think about heaven. What will be, what might be, what we hope will be. But God wants us to think about today. See, the garden of the tomb made possible today, living today as a new creature. But that begins by confessing. begins by responding to God's invitation. Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, burdened down with life, with sin, and I will give you rest. So today, I would beckon you to the garden of hope, the garden of promise, The garden of the resurrection. See, that's what it means to live. That's what makes life worth living. And today, if you've been living in the weeds of sin, God calls you to repent of that, to come to Him and ask forgiveness. Let us pray for you this morning as as the body of Christ, the family of God, that God would restore you to your first love. If you are not a child of God, you're living in a garden of death. 
But God has called you to a garden of hope, to be baptized into Christ. You've got to die before you can be raised. And we've got to die to our old way, our way of doing things, our way of living in Christ. And God calls us to the waters of baptism. That's the symbol. Not cleaning the dirt off of our bodies, but washing our conscience, washing our souls, our spirits free of sin so that we can be raised up into Christ, a new creature. And this morning, what a wonderful day. A day to celebrate resurrection, that we can be resurrected in our choice to follow God. We're going to stand now and sing a song. I ask you, what line are you standing at? Are you ready to start? Let me encourage you to take that first step, the first step, and let God lead you as we stand and sing this good song.